You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Tim Rice. Welcome to my podcast. Get on to my cloud. It seems to me that during these dodgy times, that almost everybody's grabbed the opportunity to create a podcast, and good luck to them all. Amazon's apparently run out of broadcast quality mics. So I thought I'd have a go myself. And here it is, the Tim Rice podcast, snappily entitled, Get On To My Cloud. I'm not exactly sure how long my series of podcasts will be. Maybe just this one, in which case it will become a collector's item. I'm not exactly sure what topics I'll cover, but I'll certainly be chatting about theatre, songwriting, cricket, and other matters about which I'm alleged to have some sort of inside information. But I'm more than prepared to drift off into other areas. Send in suggestions, maybe via Twitter. And if there's a second show, your thoughts may prove to be a crucial part of it. One thing I can guarantee, however, is that no show will be more than 20 minutes long, and that includes a musical item or two. And each week, assuming I can get round to a show week, I'll play one of my lesser-known songs, of which there are all too many, but a song that I've always liked and felt should perhaps have had a wider audience. My choice for this first show is a ballad I wrote with Broadway legend Alan Menken for the show King David. So hang in for that, sung by the sensational Broadway star Judy Kuhn. Otherwise, it's just me broadcasting from home, no guest stars, no exclusive interviews, and probably no relevance to anything that's going on anywhere else, and probably some interruptions. Which explains why my first show is dedicated to my mantelpiece. Some may feel this is not the most gripping subject I could have chosen to kick off my podcasting career. However, when, as a major lockdown project, I decided to tidy up the mantelpiece in my study last week, I was amazed to find over 100 items, many of which related to important events, well, important to me anyway, in my life and career. It's a kind of history of Tim Rice in 100 objects, some of which not even I can see what they've got to do with me, but some of which have stirred some ancient memories of everything, ranging from my school days to shows and concerts in more recent times via menus, ancient photographs, Evita, In Excess and Don Bradman memorabilia, and a plastic rabbit, which has stirred up no memories for me whatsoever. So, stick with me. Remember, it's for no more than 20 minutes, and five must have gone already. At either end of my mantelpiece are two boxer bookends not actually propping up any books. These are not boxers like Rocky Marciano or Tyson Fury, but boxer dogs, the breed of hound I've been devoted to since I was six or seven. There have been five important boxers in my life, and I'm currently the owner of the fifth, a bonkers puppy named Kirsty, who may well see me out. The first item I noticed that the boxers were guarding is a reproduction of a Joseph poster on a small metal plate. The production was in Mexico City. I'm not exactly sure when it was, 
but it had a good run because the poster says, Novecientos representiones, anyway, 900 performances. Android Weber and I never visited Mexico City to see the show, and in fact, I've never been to Mexico City for any reason at all, to my great regret, as they have a pretty good track record in putting on musicals. This version of Joseph was entitled José el Soñador, which means Joseph the Dreamer, a slightly snappier title than Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Years ago, when we'd only just written the piece, and it had only been performed in one or two schools, that would have been 1968-69, we received a rather miffed letter from Technicolor, out of the blue appropriately, saying that we were in breach of their copyright and we'd have to change the title of the show. Andrew and I were a bit concerned about this, but our agent at the time wrote back saying we would be absolutely delighted to do that, and from now on, the show will be called Joseph and His Amazing Eastman Colour Dreamcoat. Eastman Colour at that point being one of Technicolor's rivals. Technicolor responded pretty sharpish to that to say, well, actually, we could use the title as long as we stated that Technicolor was their copyrighted trademark, and we've attempted to do that ever since. Next to the Joseph poster is an invitation from the really useful group requesting the pleasure of my company at the first night performance of Evita at the Adelphi Theatre in the Strand on Wednesday, the 21st of June, 2006. I can't have had anything else on that night as I remember the occasion well. This, of course, was the major West End revival of Evita that year, directed by Michael Grandage and starred the wonderful Argentine actress Elena Roger. Elena is an Argentine superstar, and we were lucky enough to have her play Eva Perón both in the West End and on Broadway. On Broadway, the part of Che was played by Ricky Martin, so we had a very authentic combination of two major Latin stars in the lead roles. Elena took several other starring roles in the West End after Evita, shows including Stephen Sondheim's Passion, the very funny comedy Boeing Boeing, and she won the Olivier Award for Best Actress in a Musical in the title role of P.F. I'm delighted to say I'm still in touch with Elena and had dinner with her and her family in Buenos Aires two or three years ago. Argentine beef, of course. Apologies to vegans. I last saw her in 2019 when she was in London for a brief visit, and it would be wonderful to see her play Vita in Buenos Aires one day, but I'm not sure that would be a politically easy thing to arrange. Nestling next to my 2006 Evita invitation on my mantelpiece was a card signed by all the members of In Excess, apart from, and for obvious sad reasons, Michael Hutchins. In 2000, I toured Australia with David Essex, and a distinguished lineup of Aussie stars performed a selection of my songs, and In Excess were the rhythm section. And so much more for the show. This was the band's first set of major gigs after Michael's terrible death just over two years before. They were one of the very best rock rhythm sections of their time, and it was a thrill to hear their versions of Jesus Christ Superstar and One Night in Bangkok in particular. I actually did the vocals on One Night in Bangkok, so bizarrely I can claim to be the first vocalist to sing with In Excess post-Hutchins, but for some reason they never offered me a permanent gig. Their thank you card is one of my more cherished souvenirs, and I'm glad to have re-found it after at least 14 years of the card lurking behind a scorecard of my cricket team's match against Sir Paul Getty's eleven on Sunday the 23rd of July 2006. It's great to be reminded of In Excess's Farris brothers, Andrew, John and Tim, Gary Gary Beers and Kirk Pengilly, 
who were a delight to be with those three weeks down under 20 years ago. Thanks for the thank you card, lads. I think it's about time for a musical break, and should this podcast ever lead to a series, then on each show I'd like to play something of mine that you may not know. In 1997, Alan Menken and I wrote a musical based on the story of King David, one of the most magnetic and enigmatic characters of the Old Testament. It was written and commissioned to celebrate the 3,000th anniversary of the founding of the city of Jerusalem, and we were going to play in Jerusalem. But the political scene got too heavy, too complicated, and in the end we just did it as a concert on Broadway for a limited run. Although we're hopeful that one day we can do it again properly as a fully blown show. We were fortunate to have the wonderful Judy Kuhn in one of the lead roles on our Broadway run as David's wife, Mikhail. Their relationship went through some turbulent times, and here is Judy singing, Never Again.
The wonderful Judy Kuhn singing Never Again from King David, written by me and Alan Menken. Now back to my mantelpiece, and just before Judy sang, I came across something featuring my team, Heartaches, my cricket team. And right now we should be starting our 48th season. Of course, at the moment, it's not certain we'll get any cricket at all this year, although I'm optimistic that we will before the end of the summer. The games against Paul Getty's eleven at his beautiful Wormsley ground were always a highlight of the heartaches calendar. The hospitality that Paul and Victoria gave to all visiting teams was quite staggering. The only problem being that the players in their side often matched the Getty lunches and teas in their magnificence. So winning there was quite a challenge, almost impossible. I recall we did triumph one year, but I think that was the year we roped in Alan Lamb or Mike Gatting to lend us a hand. And I just discovered on my mantelpiece a photograph of my father, Hugh, dating back to 1938. He's strolling along an unidentified street with his close friend, Paul Cash, and two young ladies. Paul Cash was the father of Bill Cash, MP, but sad to say Paul was killed in the war. My father was lucky enough to survive. Of course, I never met Paul, but I've got to know Bill well, and we've enjoyed exchanging memories about our departed dads. And here's a packet of seeds, which are probably well past their sell-by date. Put the buzz back into your garden, the packet says. I, I might give it a go. Next, a small silver bowl containing 483 in loose change, and a golf ball, a red tin containing a tiny spinning top, and a Lion King badge, and a Blondel badge for the Euro Tour of 1189, an official Sunderland Football Club badge, and a badge that simply says, Saga Lout. There was a tiny pair of fake pearl earrings. Ah, then there is the Donald Bradman Museum miniature baggy green cap. The baggy green cap is awarded to all Australians who play test cricket for their country and is an item of headgear that has iconic status down under. I had the great pleasure of meeting Sir Donald when a Vita opened in his hometown, Adelaide, in 1986. I invited him to the opening night, pretty certain that he'd be unable to attend, and I never even expected a reply to my invitation. But lo and behold, when I got to my hotel, there was a letter from the great man saying he couldn't come to the show, but would I be able to have lunch with him while I was in South Australia? Unsurprisingly, I was able, and had a terrific two hours with Sudan. For the first hour and a half, we chatted about almost anything other than cricket. I felt it was probably the last thing he wanted to discuss. But eventually I did ask one or two questions about his amazing career, which he'd probably heard thousands of times before. But he was enthralling and polite, describing a few of his extraordinary experiences and talking about the great players of his era. I think he'd enjoyed chatting about the theatre too. He was an accomplished pianist who even made a record in 1930. I'm proud to say I have a copy of the 78 RPM platter in question, which is entitled Bungalow of Dreams and it's in a safer place than all the items on my shambolic mantelpiece. Continuing the exploration of my shambolic mantelpiece, I come across the Lansing College school list for the summer term of 1961, when I was about halfway up the school, and the headmaster was John Dancy, who, sad to say, died earlier this year. But it wasn't a tragedy because he made it to 99 and was totally on the ball to the very end. I know this because he retired to Cornwall, and I got to know him well in his final years, much better than I did when we were both at Lansing. Looking through the Lansing list of nearly 60 years ago, I'm struck by the fact that virtually every single one of the masters went to either Oxford or Cambridge. 
On the face of it, not a lot of variety. I suppose the phrase today is diversity. But they were a pretty inspiring lot on the whole. I see from my inky defacement of the book that I've given each master marks out of ten. But I cannot reveal the results at this time beyond the fact that the late Roger Lockyer and the late Christopher Headington both achieved maximums. Looking at my own house list, I see the names of several friends with whom I'm still in touch, including, of course, my brother, Rice Minor, I was Rice Major, and a chap named Andrew Webber. However, his middle name was not Lloyd. I'm not sure what it was, but it began with C, and he was known as Andy Webber, which is not the moniker by which people refer to my distinguished musical colleague. Thumbing through the book brings me back happy memories of my privileged education. Summer 61 when Del Shannon's runaway was top of the charts for what seemed to be the entire term. More mantelpieciana, and I find a one-eyed binocular. I suppose that's a monocular. It's plastic and probably out of a Christmas cracker. Poker dice, two lonely playing cards, the nine of clubs and five of hearts, not from the same pack. A Sunderland Football Club presentation mini clock, which needs a battery. A 2002 Christmas card from Ronnie and Anne Corbett a Helford River Sailing Club membership card for 2015, and something else showbizy, a photograph of the Jesus Christ Superstar Emmy winners of 2018. Two years ago, John Legend, Brandon Victor Dixon and Sarah Bareilles starred in a brand new TV production of Jesus Christ Superstar, which was shown in America on Easter Sunday that year. I don't think it's ever been shown over here. Andrew and I were two of the executive producers of the show, although I feel my contribution was little more than recommending the great Alice Cooper for the part of King Herod. But my advice was taken, and Alice did a wonderful job. Anyway, the executive producers were nominated en bloc for Emmys, and the show won. It won Outstanding Variety Special Live, so we all copped one. I didn't feel too guilty about it, even though my contribution wasn't exactly massive, because Superstar never won anything when I felt it kind of should have won something when we were starting out. Despite its success, it was doubtless considered then a brief flash in the theatrical pan. The Emmy Award is a lethally dangerous object, weighs half a hundredweight with two severe sharp spikes, I think representing angel wings, and would not be safe within reach of small people. So I keep it safely in a cupboard. Right, enough of these artefacts, some of which I will never get rid of. But others, well, does anybody need a plastic rabbit or a key card that used to open room 2515 of the Sydney Intercontinental Hotel? I suspect I might have already overrun my self-imposed 20-minute deadline for this podcast, but I hope a few of you are still with me and will give podcast number two a go. Number two will tackle the question I'm probably asked more than any other. How did you get going as a lyricist? I shall reveal all and tell the story of how I met Andrew Lloyd Webber, that is, not Andy C. Webber from Lansing, and how we broke through via a route we never expected. To finish podcast number one, here is the first commercial recording ever made of one of my lyrics, just before I met ALW, and amazingly, I also wrote the tune. The group is The Night Shift, and the song is called That's My Story. It was released in early 1965 and got absolutely nowhere. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next week. Just what I expected For I know you never cared
said that's much for me But don't start thinking that I'll worry Cause I can live without you I'm sure I'll feel much better now I'm free There's a tear in my eye But it's not because I love you There's an ache in my heart But it's not because of you Go away for I don't want you I'll be better off without you That's my story but oh lord it isn't true This has been Get Onto My Cloud number one, written and presented by Tim Rice, produced by Peter Holt. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.